Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast of the teaching at Life Journey Church in Crozet, Virginia. We believe that the gospel really is good news, that the blood of Jesus worked, and that Jesus meant it when he said, it is finished. In Christ, we are dead to sin and alive to God, forgiven and free, clean and close, holy and beloved, blessed and made new. If God is doing something special in your life, we would love for you to tell us about it. You can simply email us at info at lifejourneyva.com. One of the reasons we are able to provide these weekly podcasts is because of the generosity of people like you. If you would like to support the proclamation of the gospel of the grace of God, you can make a donation now on our website, lifejourneyva.com. Amen. All right. So to bring everybody um, who have uh, perhaps been traveling and in and out up to a quick little speed, we have um, by not really by uh, plan, it just kind of worked out this way, uh, that we've been spending most of the summer um, kind of fielding some questions about the gospel, about life, about, you know, um, what Jesus really has done. And they're all in the podcast. There's been some really great questions. We we felt felded. <laughs> we fielded some from the crowd, you know, but we've got a lot that have come in through the website. And two weeks ago, um, we did several of them. And then there was this one question that we didn't have time to get to. And, um, and, I, and the consensus was, hey, let's, let's don't try to just rush through that. Let's actually save it for when, when I'm here next, and I wasn't here last week, and, and so here we are. And so uh, before we look at it, I want to remind everybody that um, much of the New Testament is actually a back and forth of questions and answers. Um, sometimes when we think of questions and answers, it's like, oh, well, maybe the preacher just didn't have time to work on a sermon this week, you know, and so we're just doing questions and answers. Well, you know, that might be true for some, but actually it took, for me at least, uh, it takes longer because if we're just doing a series through like, you know, First John or something, you know, it's the same sort of, you know, message in general, you know, just let's look at the next section and the next section. But the hard work is really done at the beginning of that series. But when we have questions ranging from Hebrews chapter 6 one week all the way over to Matthew chapter 5 the next week, you know, we're all over the place. And so preparing for it is actually a little bit more difficult. It's fun, but it's a little bit more uh, time consuming. So I, I really appreciate what Paul does with the Corinthians because he says, now look, you sent me this letter with all these questions. Now I'm going to write you the answers to the questions. So 1 Corinthians is actually questions and answers. Um, if we've never thought about it that way, that's a neat way to think about it. He writes them about marriage. He writes them, they have questions about, you know, their virgin daughters. They have questions about spiritual gifts, questions, you know, all sorts of great questions. And he says, hey, now remember how you asked me about marriage? Here's my thoughts on that. Remember how you asked me about your virgin daughters? Here's my thoughts on that, so forth and so on. And so that's sort of what we've been doing, trying to field some questions. Brandon did a Q&A last week of his uh, question that he himself had, uh, which was a great question that he wrestled with. But we're going to take a look at this question that came in through the website. If we get through this question today, which we, we likely won't, but if we get through this and we have some time and there's a question that you, you have, then I'd love to field a question from, from you, you know, on the spot. Uh, usually we start with that. That's what we've done. We've given the priority, the preeminence to those who are in the crowd. Hey, I had a question, but I really want to try to address this because this is a very timely, very uh, important question 
of the day. We'll probably do one more Sunday of this next Sunday because there's, uh, well, there's a lot more questions, but there's some really good ones that I would like to try to get to. Um, we, but, and then the Sunday after that, when the Sunday after school starts, we'll probably start into a fall series. Um, I haven't decided exactly if anybody has any thoughts that could, um, you know, influence. I, I'd, I'd love to hear any thoughts, but, but we'll probably do this one more Sunday. All right, so here's the question uh, as it was uh, submitted. It says, I have struggled with same-sex attraction for years. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10 says that homosexuals will not inherit the kingdom of God. Does this mean I have no hope? So what are we to say? How do we begin this? I want to, uh, in all things, but especially with this, address this with the utmost dignity and respect possible. Because this is a very, very, in our culture especially, a very um, hot topic. Uh, there may even be a division in this body over this very issue. Um, I pray that that does not, rev- any division in this body, I pray doesn't result in um, like capital D division, right? Um, but that's why I prayed. I don't want you to be so concerned about what I have to say, a man, or even what other saints in the fellowship necessarily have to say, because our thoughts can be all over the place. What truly matters, in my understanding, is what the Spirit of God is leading, and certainly as the Scriptures, uh, inspired by that very same Spirit, guide us into this, um, into this truth. So this individual, at least as they have submitted it, they're not suggesting that they are practicing homosexual. They may be. I don't know. Um, came in anonymously. I don't know, you know, who, who sent it in. But the, what we do know is that there is a wrestle, a struggle with attraction to the same sex that they've wrestled with. It's not gone away. Maybe they've prayed for it to go away, but it hasn't gone away. Maybe they've embraced it. I don't know the whole context. So we're just going to try to blanket answer and deal with it as it comes. And then we'll have some time for some questions, some answers, some thoughts. But utmost respect and dignity um, as we go forward. So let's take a look at what 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 through 11 actually say. He, they say, he, she says 10, but we're actually going to go on to verse 11. Paul writes to the Corinthians. Remember, this is some Q&A, 1 Corinthians. It's actually a lot of questions and answers. And in the context of 1 Corinthians, uh, at the beginning, there was some division happening because the Christians were bringing lawsuits against other Christians, and they were going to public courts with filing lawsuits against each other. And Paul's like, he's livid. He's like, why can't there, isn't there somebody in your fellowship who's wise enough to, dis, to, to solve this dispute between the two? But you guys, Christians, and, and the culture knows that you're Christians. You're going to the public square. It wasn't like a private court, like the public square. And you guys are berating each other in front of the public. And then you're saying, hey, trust Jesus? <laughs> Like, that's not going to fly. It doesn't work that way. Can't you guys, isn't there somebody who can decide this among you so you don't go in front of the lost unbelievers and 
portray Christ as some sort of, you know, envious, I want to be right, they harmed me. Why not be wronged, Paul says, in this situation? And so in that theme, he's asking them some questions in this back and forth with them. He says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And I put unrighteous in red bold because that's sort of the, 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 the theme that he's about to explain a little bit further. If we miss that first opening question, then we're going to miss, the rest of it isn't going to make a lot of sense. He is saying, don't you know that the unrighteous, and then remember in this context, he's talking about like the judges and the people that are watching them file lawsuits against each other. Don't you know that they're not even a part of the kingdom? Yet, hopefully they will be, but don't you even know that, that they're not even a part of this kingdom that you're a part of, but yet you're, you're portraying a divided Christ in front of them by suing each other. And so the, the big statement that we have to agree upon is that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Who is the unrighteous? Well, we know from plenty of other letters that Paul writes that the unrighteous are those who are still unbelievers. They still are in their sins. They have not believed upon the name of Christ. They have not placed their trust in him. They have not died with him by faith in him and then been raised a new creation. They are unrighteous as opposed to a believer who by birth is now what? Righteous. Okay. Now did the unrighteous do, uh, do anything more grotesque possibly than the righteous did? No, not at all. Did the righteous do anything noble in the, in the flesh that the unrighteous didn't do? No. All that the righteous did was what? Believe. They, they realized that the unrighteous became righteous by realizing, you know what? There's nothing that I could ever do to bridge that gap between me and God. And so, therefore, I must trust someone else can do it for me who is Jesus. That's all it is required to go from unrighteous to righteous. That's it. So let's don't think that the righteous are the ones who have never screwed up, that never done something wrong. We're talking about the heart, the core of who you actually are. And he's saying the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Do not be deceived, because I guess there's some confusion. He starts to describe the identity of the unrighteous. He doesn't list them all because that would be a really long letter, but he just lists, you know, some major ones. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, and here's where the question comes from, nor thieves, verse 10, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of heaven. Now let's take a pause there. Here's a big question. Is Paul saying that anybody who has stolen something, anybody who has gotten drunk, anybody who has reviled, which like kind of like throw a big, you know, um, wild uh, rebellion sort of an idea, anybody who has swindled, like, uh, like stolen in a... Uh, I think of Bernie Madoff, you know, sort of a deal. 
That's what I think of when I think of Swindler or Jimmy Swagger, you know, that sort of a deal. Nor Swindlers, is he saying that anybody who's ever done that, you're automatically out of the kingdom? Because if it's yes, then you tell me who in this room is qualified to get into the kingdom. Now, let's go back to the list as it began. Fornicators. Anybody who has ever committed fornication. Now, if, if he is saying that anybody who has ever committed fornication or even still struggling with fornication is out, if he's saying that, then most, if not all of us in this room can pretty much say, well, I guess I'm out. Because there is a power called sin in this body that desires fornication. Now, what about um, idolaters? Anybody ever put some sort of material possession in front of the Lord? Anybody? Nobody ever? Ever? What about tomorrow? Anybody tomorrow going to probably prioritize some sort of material possession before? Of course. I mean, it's it's, it's what the flesh cries out for. So if anybody who has ever placed any sort of material possession before the Lord is out, then who's in? So I, I could be wrong, but I don't think Paul is saying that anybody who has ever fornicated any, or, or even will possibly slip up and fornicate or, idolat, or, or idolize something or even commit adultery. Remember, Jesus makes it really clear in Matthew 5. He says, if you, if you who think that you have a pure heart by yourself, if you've even lusted after a woman who's not your wife, you've committed adultery with her in your heart. Now, he was trying to bury them in their self-righteousness, but the truth remains that who of us can say that sin in the flesh doesn't desire these things? Sin The power of sin in our mortal bodies desires, guess what? Sin. That's what it's always going to do. Effeminate homosexuals. Now, again, is he saying that anybody who has ever had same-sex attraction or even acted upon same-sex attraction or ever will in the future have or act upon same-sex attraction is out? I hear him saying that the unrighteous, the people who are these things by identity... This is who you are by, by your, uh, by, 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 if you will, by birth, by, by your, not just the practice thereof, but by being joined to these things by nature. These unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 11. See, the person stopped at verse 10 when they wrote, wrote the question, but I think we should go on to verse 11. Verse 11 says, This is so cool. Such were some of you. You who? You Corinthian believers. Such were some of you. But you were washed. Washed in what? The blood of Jesus. You were sanctified. What does that mean? It means set apart. You, you, you were, something was made different about you. You went from being in Adam to now being in Christ. You were set apart from the world, from the flesh. You were joined to the flesh, but now you're joined to Jesus. You were sanctified. You were justified, meaning a legal declaration from the God of the judge of all universe says you are no longer guilty. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. So apparently some of these 
uh, Corinthians were unrighteous. Just some of them, or, well, obviously all of them, right? But I think when he says some of you, he's listing these specific things. Some of these in the church were fornicators. Some in the church were idolaters. Some in the church were adulterers, effeminate, homosexuals, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, swindlers. Some of you, by nature, were those specific things. But what do you hear Paul saying? I hear him saying, but that's not who you are anymore. You were those things, but now you've been washed, you've been sanctified, you've been justified. Now, here's the question. Are any, is, is any of us, are any of us naive enough to think that the Corinthians, none of those Corinthians ever, that Paul is writing to, ever struggled any longer with these things that are listed, fornication, idolatry, adultery, effemin being effeminate, homosexuality, stealing, covetousness, drunkenness. Do you think none of them ever anymore had those desires whatsoever? I'm not that naive. Maybe so, but I'm not going to be naive to say that none of them ever had any struggle because we can read the rest of 1 Corinthians in chapter 5, there was someone in the church who was having sexual relations with his father's wife, presumably a stepmom. Well, that's adultery. That's fornication. That's listed. So if they are born again in the body of Christ, they're still struggling in this regard. In chapter 1, he talks about Synthike and you, you somebody... Um, Somebody can read it. I forget her name. But they were having division amongst each other. They were fighting. These two women in the fellowship, they were fighting like cats and dogs against each other and, you know, reviling. They were causing all sorts of trouble. So I don't hear Paul saying that once you are born again, these desires die. What we know from Romans 6 and 7 that when you became a believer, you died to these things called sin. But the desires of sin in the flesh, they're still there. They remain. Paul, uh, James says we stumble in many, many ways. So it is true that those who are unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. But someone who has been made righteous by faith in Christ, you were washed, sanctified, justified, etc. You're no longer unrighteous. We're now righteous. So let's take homosexuality for an example. Let's say that Walt Davis, and I was just talking with Craig and Hart before the meeting began, and I, I said to him, I don't know. I don't know. I really don't. I don't know why sin, the power of sin in this body desire not to manifest itself in same-sex attractions. I don't, I don't know why, but it didn't. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of glad, but it didn't. But there's a million other ways that sin in this body has desired and still does desire to manifest itself. And many are on that list that, that Paul lists. Covetousness, not necessarily drunkenness, but reviling, trying to, you know, do what, you know, uh, uh, um, prove that I'm right and someone else is wrong. Uh, I don't really know about swindling. But, but sin in this body desires to manifest itself in a variety of these different ways. Might not be that one. So is that saying Walt Davis has no hope? 
But see, for whatever reason, we have taken this one manifestation of, of sin and we have blown it into a greater emphasis or, or something within the church and we say, well, now fornication, I mean, you know, who, who doesn't, you know, adultery. I mean, it's just, it's just natural. I mean, it's, you know, what are we going to, I mean, it, I, I can't help it. Uh, if, idolatry, you know, it's, you know, we all struggle. But homosexuality, let's put that on a plane of its own. And I say no. I think it's in the exact same list that any of these others are a part of. And sin will always desire to manifest itself as sin. It's never going to not do that. That's its desire. And so the question comes it is, take Walt Davis, I'll pick on me, is does the new man who is born of the very spirit of God, do I ever, will I ever have a desire for fornication? Walt Davis. And the answer, according to the scripture, is no. Because the desires that God has given me are his desires in the new heart. Will sin in this body Desire fornication. Sure. Yeah. If it wants, absolutely it will. What about idolatry? Yeah. Adultery, sure. If effeminate, if it wants to, homosexuality, if it desires. It, remember, sin is a parasite. It's a thing. But we are no longer joined to it. That's critical for us to understand. When we were washed, when we were justified, when we were sanctified, when we were, uh, what was the other thing? I think I listed them all. That's when our union with it ended. But that doesn't mean that it doesn't have desire. So let's go back to the question. I have wrestled with uh, same-sex attraction for years. First Corinthians says this, does that mean I'm without hope? Well, I would say being struggling with homosexual thoughts or adulterous thoughts or idolatry thoughts or whatever, that's not what makes you righteous or unrighteous. What makes you righteous or unrighteous is do you believe that Jesus Christ is your only hope? Yes or no? If it's yes, then you are no longer unrighteous. You have been washed, sanctified, justified, and, and by the name, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Will those homosexual, same-sex attraction thoughts continue? They may. They may for the rest of your life. They may not. I don't know. I'm not in charge of that stuff. But what I know is its desire, sin's desires, and your desires are not the same according to the scriptures, if that makes sense. Did I say something wrong? Did I say something backwards? Okay. I saw a, a face. So I, I want to go over to First Timothy, the, the reader, the questioner, questioner didn't bring in 1 Timothy, but 1 Timothy to me brings a lot of clarity on this subject of, of, of what, or really why, especially homosexuality, but he lists some other things, is not of Christ. Okay, he's talking about the law here. He says, now remember Paul is always trying to clean up other people's mess ups because they're still struggling as we are today with bringing the Mosaic law into Christianity saying this is how we get closer, cleaner. We all know that because we've, we see that throughout all of the New Testament scriptures. So Paul is addressing that here as he does in every single one of his letters because as rampant as it is today, it was even more so then probably. But we know that the law is good if someone uses it lawfully. So the law of Moses is good if you use it lawfully. Well, how is the law used lawfully, Paul? Verse 9, 
realizing the fact that law is not made for a righteous person. Okay, so who's a righteous person? We just talked about that. Someone who is in Christ, someone who has placed their faith in him, someone who is born again. Now, does that mean that all of our actions are righteous actions? No, not necessarily at all. But it means that we are, by birth, righteous because of him. So the law is not made for a righteous person. If you are a believer, then law, specifically in this context, the Mosaic law, is not for you. But it's for those who are lawless and rebellious. Well, who's that, Paul? Who are you talking about? For the ungodly and sinners. So who is the Mosaic in this context law for? It's for those who are unrighteous, the unbelievers. And Paul explains that a little bit further. He, he doesn't just leave it there. He says these ungodly and, and sinners for the unholy and profane. Man, that's, that's a little uh, harsh, Paul. It's for those who kill their fathers or mothers. That's who the law is for. See, you've got to hear the passion of Paul who is livid that Christians are going back to the Mosaic law to try to figure out how to live. See, this isn't for you. This is for those who kill fathers and mothers. This is for the unrighteous, for murderers. That's who the law is for. It's for murderers to say, don't do it. And it's for immoral men. And here we go. Here's our word. It's for homosexuals and kidnappers and liars and perjurers. You know, a perjurer is someone who takes an oath and then they lie against the oath that they've taken. They, they're a perjurer. That's who the law is for. And here's the encompassing phrase here. And for whatever else in addition to these other things, and whatever else is contrary to sound teaching. Now, what sound teaching is Paul probably talking about? We don't have to guess. It's in the next verse. But let's take a guess. What sound teaching? Who, you know what sound means? It's, it's, it's steady. It's unshakable. It's steadfast. What is this teaching that he's probably referring to? Starts with a G and ends with race. The grace of the gospel. It's in the next verse. I'll click to it. But that's, he's, he's saying that these things, what things, Paul? Lawlessness, rebellion, ungodly, sinners, unholy, profane, killing fathers and mothers, murderers. Oops, that's the wrong direction. Immoral, homosexuals, kidnappers, liars, perjurers. All of that, Paul is saying, is contrary to sound teaching. In other words, if I may say, none of those things, and is that the full list of things that are contrary to sound teaching? No, of course not. It'd be a really long letter if you listed everything. But he's saying these things don't fit with what we know the truth to be. And what is the truth? The very next verse. Sound teaching according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. So here's what I hear Paul saying. What I hear him saying is that the law, this thing that people are continuing to bring into the body of Christ, it's not for the body of Christ. It's for this other group. It's for the people who are in contradiction to the gospel of the grace of God. 
and he lists a bunch of things, general things like unholy uh, 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 sinners, but then he lists some specific things like murderers and uh, did he say swindlers in this one? Uh, perjurers, liars, kidnappers, homosexuals. So what I am left with is a question of why. Why? Why is, let's don't take homosexuality just yet, because that's very personal. Let, let's take something, let's take kidnapping. Why is kidnapping, and this is going to be some participation time, why is kidnapping contrary to sound teaching according to the gospel of the grace of God? Why? He says it is. He, he says it as if it's a no-duh sort of a thing. That's a theological term, no-duh. He says it like it's a, of course it's not. Why is it not? Just because it says it? Well, Paul wrote it, so therefore, well, okay, that might be good enough for some. But let's use the brain that God gave us. Why is kidnapping not consistent? Why is it contrary to sound teaching regarding according to the gospel? believer of a certain ideal then you should show that in what you do okay. kidnapping someone is not really something any of the disciples did, it's certainly not anything Jesus did Sure. it's not exemplary of the life that you should be living okay, so it is, it is inconsistent in, in that it is uh, um, it is antithetical to the very nature of the gospel which is uh, giving, loving caring and kidnapping doesn't fit that model, that, that mode, that, that uh, pattern. Excuse me? It's hypocritical. It's hypocritical. It's opposite. Sure. Okay. So we get that. I don't think that takes a lot of even spiritual thought to see that kidnapping is contrary to good news. Anybody ever say, hey, I got some great news. My kid got kidnapped at Target today. Well, somebody might say that. I don't know. But um, they're acting up, you know. But uh, nobody would say that. That's not good news. We get that. All right, what's an, uh, an, another one? Uh, uh, lying. Why is lying contrary to the sound teaching of the gospel? Lying is deceptive. Okay. sound teaching, grace is being transparent and loving. Okay. So we have truth versus deception. Right on. So truth, light, and darkness have nothing in common. Truth and lying, they're opposites. So that's clear. I mean, again, that doesn't take a whole lot of like gray matter to figure that out. Uh, similar with perjurer. Um, well, let, let's, let's use, well, murder, that's kind of clear. Immoral men. Why is immorality, think of sexual immorality. Why is sexual immorality? Now, this is uh, not limited just to, but because he emphasizes homosexuality later, this is probably uh, uh, em the emphasis being um, heterosexual immorality. Because why would he think, be thinking homosexual immorality here and then list homosexuality. He's probably thinking, I, I'm not Paul, but he's probably thinking heterosexual immorality. Why would heterosexual immorality, if that is what he's thinking, be contrary to sound teaching? So in Corinthians, it just it talks about after it gives verses 
Okay. All right. So to, to take that a little bit deeper, because uh, I think you're right on, it maybe the deeper question is why is sinning against the body, why is that even sinning in the first place? Why is that contrary to the, to the gospel, to, to the sound teaching, to the gospel of the grace of God? Well, my understanding, again, I hope you don't hear just words that come out of my mouth, but I mean, let the spirit lead. My understanding is he, what he's saying is we've got this substance, this reality of the sound teaching of this thing called the good news. That's what he says in the next verse, that the sound teaching according to the gospel of the grace of God. So this is where it's all at. Life, light, liberty, freedom, joy, peace that we have now in the spirit. This is where it's at in Christ in this good news. And in this relationship that we have with Christ, we are in it by means of a union that has, that has uh, been enabled by Christ, the groom, and the church, the what? Bride. And there was a covenant that the Father made with the Son that all who would just simply believe in Jesus becomes the bride. So you have a groom, and you have a bride, and you have a covenant. The two become one in covenant, okay? And so what I hear Paul saying is that this even heterosexual immorality, it is not, it is contrary to this teaching because there's not a groom, there's not a bride, and there's not a covenant. So when there's a bride, a groom, and a bride, and a covenant, you have this thing called marriage. And that's why the very same acts that the immoral man might be doing are not immoral in the context of a groom and a bride in a covenant called marriage. Because this is, the, this is not contrary. This is in keeping with the sound teaching, the sound teaching being Jesus the groom, the church the bride, and the covenant, a.k.a. marriage, that governs and guides this union that we have with him. So in this world, a husband and a wife in a covenant called marriage is in keeping with sound teaching, not contrary. But you have a man and other men, which we'll get to in a second, or other women who are not in covenant with each other, a.k.a. marriage, Paul is saying that does not reflect, that is contrary to sound teaching because it does not reflect the gospel. And so, to me, that's why even heterosexual immorality amongst men, women, whomever, is contrary because it's not reflecting the truth of a groom, a bride, a covenant. And very similarly, homosexuality. It hurts my heart, if I could say it that way, when um, somebody comes to a very good conclusion about homosexuality not being of Christ, but their argument or their defense is going to Leviticus and pulling out some picked you know, verses out of Leviticus saying, see, right here, homosexuality is an abomination unto the Lord. 
Okay, yeah, sure. But the very next verse says that if your son disobeys you, you're to stone the lad. I wouldn't be here. <laughs> Neither would you if that were the case. Grace. Grace, yeah. So we ought to be wiser than that because we don't go to Leviticus to determine what is of the Lord and not of the Lord. We go to the substance sound teaching according to the gospel and we say what fits this what resonates with this and what I hear Paul saying is that homosexuality a man taking a man or woman and woman but a man taking a man and engage in sexual activity does not reflect it does it is contrary to the image the picture the reality of the gospel which is a, bra, a groom who takes a bride under the context of a covenant. Does that make sense? It does. But I don't want it to just become, well, see, it just says it, therefore. To many, that's sufficient. The Bible says it right here in the New Testament. This isn't even the old. Paul says it. It settles it. It's done. Hey, fantastic. But I'm very um, interested in the why. Because there are a million and a half things that Paul doesn't list that would certainly be contrary to sound teaching according to the gospel. And so we don't need to be out here fiddling with, hey, let's examine the 17,082 things that might be or might not be contrary to sound teaching. I think the emphasis is let's discover what sound teaching really is according to the gospel. And when we see that a groom took a bride under the covenant of a union called, you know, the marriage of the son of God to the bride, then it's so easy to look into daily life and say, oh, well, what fits that? Does a groom taking a groom fit that? It doesn't fit that. Does a bride taking a bride fit that? It doesn't fit that. So what does fit that? A groom taking a bride under the covenant of marriage. And so if we don't see that, which again, I'm not asking you to just listen to what I'm having to say. I encourage you to listen to the spirit and hear what the spirit is saying through the apostle Paul even. But if we don't see the substance, AKA the sound teaching according to the gospel, then this over here just gets really muddy and really weird and really difficult to decipher. And so that's why at Life Journey, we don't really, we we're addressing this because there's a specific question that came in, but we don't really spend a lot of time dissecting immoral, immoral men, kidnappers, liars, perjurers, homosexuals, and dissecting all that. What we're trying to do is really come to terms with what is sound teaching, what is the gospel, and believing that the Lord will lead us as we find revelation of him and the substance, he will lead us into what is appropriate, what is natural, what is uh, the fruit of that union that we have with him. Um, and so the question still remains, I have this guy who submitted, or gal, struggle with same-sex attraction for years. What do I do? What do I do with this? If the individual is coming from the perspective of, I understand that it is contrary to the gospel. I understand that my new heart doesn't desire this. 
I understand that it is sin in the flesh, the desire of sin in the flesh, just like the vast majority of men and women will struggle the rest of their life with heterosexual uh, attractions to those who are not their husband or their wife. Do we accept that? Do we say, well, it's just who I am? No. We say we identify where it's from and we turn to the Lord by faith to believe what really he's done. And that's where I want to end this with, before I open it up for some thoughts, Romans chapter 6. I wish we just do all of Romans 6, but, you know, for time, I just fast forwarded to verse 12. He says, um, he says, therefore, and therefore is big. He says, you've been baptized with Christ. You've been immersed into Christ. You've been placed into his death and the death he died to sin. He died once and for all. And you have been raised with Christ now in union with him. In Romans 6, he's saying you used to be baptized or immersed, joined to sin itself, this parasite, this power called sin. You used to be its slave, but you were cut out. You were placed into Christ, into his death. He died to sin so that you could be raised with Christ, no longer joined to sin. Therefore, since this amazing thing of death and resurrection has happened in you, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. This is huge. If we don't realize that sin, capital S, like think of a person, place, thing, or idea, like the noun, sin, the parasite called sin. If we don't realize that sin has desires to sin, then we're going to think that all the desires to sin come from me, from my heart, from who I am. And then we're going to think that the rest of our life is a struggle of trying to get my heart right, to get my heart clean, to get my heart better. But that's not the truth. And we'll see it specifically in verse, I think, 17 here in a second. But sin has desires. Now, I've already said this, but let's just make sure we're on the same page. This word lust, same idea, desires. What does sin desire to do? Separate you from God. Okay, to separate you from God. What does sin desire to do? To sin. Yeah. Sin desires sin. I mean, I, I just make it real, real bottom shelf there. I mean, that's what sin desires. And sin will always desire sin. I don't see that ever changing. But what Paul is saying is, since you have died to sin, you now have choices. You now have opportunity to make choices in this journey with the Lord. And don't go on presenting the members of your bodies to sin, this parasite, this thing, not just the actions, but a parasite as instruments of unrighteousness. In other words, here has been the MO your whole life. Because you have been joined to sin your whole life, your modus operandi has been for you by nature to just present your body to sin because that's the way it's been. You've been enslaved to it ever since you were born from your mama. It's the way it's been. But now that things have changed, now that you have died to it and you've been raised, joined to a new, as a new creation to the Lord himself, that doesn't need to happen anymore. That doesn't have to happen anymore. 
But now, look at this, present yourself to the Lord, to God, as those alive from the dead, because that's what you are, alive from the dead, and present your members, talking about your body, this hand, this foot, this nose, this mouth, present your members as instruments of righteousness to the Lord. I've said this illustration before, but I love using heart as the example. You put this guitar in my hand, it's an instrument, you'll get a couple of riffs, you know, some Sweet Home Alabama, a little bit of stuff, right? You'll get a couple of things, right? Free bird, right? But you put this same instrument in heart's hands, you name a song, and it's going to come out because he's just that skilled at it. Same instrument, right? Does it, did the instrument change? No, but who was playing it changed. Here's what I hear Paul saying. You no longer have to get played by sin. You were once, had no choice in the matter, but you've died to it and you're now alive to God. You now have choices to make to allow the Lord to play you the instrument, your body being the instrument. That's awesome to me. It's like, I now get to present my body. Do I do that faithfully, perfectly, 24-7? Not this guy. But I now have the joy to grow in that where I didn't before when I was unrighteous. For sin, remember, think of the noun, shall not be master over you. For you are not under law, but under grace. If we could understand that, we would be so free to walk as we truly are. If we remain under law, sin shall abound. The power of sin is the law. But when we see that we now have life from someone else within Christ himself, we, are, we get to live as Christ, free from the foolishness of sin. But thanks be to God, skipping a few verses to verse 17, that though you were slaves of sin, when, when, when were we slaves of sin? Before we were born again. We were slaves of sin. You became obedient from the what? Heart. So what is the condition of your new heart? Think of heart not like a beating muscle, but like the core of your identity, who you really are now. What's the word he uses? Obedient. That's you. You have become by birth in him obedient from this new heart. That's your new life. That's your identity. Now, did sin change? Sin still wants to what? Sin. sin. I mean, that's. But what if we got to a point, regardless of what sin wants? Again, in me, just my personal testimony, sin has never manifested itself in same-sex attraction. It never has, for whatever reason. I don't know why. But I can also testify that it has and does and will continue to manifest itself in a million of other ways that are equally contrary to the sound teaching. So we're not trying to elevate homosexuality as some sort of, you know, grotesque, some sort of sin. But my heart desires what sin desires no more. My heart has become and been made obedient by being born of him. Uh, last verse. And having been freed from sin, 
you became slaves of righteousness. Now, slaves doesn't mean like righteousness is like dragging you by a chain. That's not the idea. In fact, the next verse says, guys, I'm using this human language to try to help you understand here. But think of a slave as someone who is joined, attached, even by chain, to someone else, to a master. We were joined to sin, but now we are joined to righteousness. So, what do I say to my uh, submitter of our question here? I say to the asker, do you see why? Not just that. I think we've got to, it's okay to see that homosexuality is an affront to the gospel. That's okay to see that it is. But I I think we should dive in more and and see why it is. Um, Because I think we're in a culture that demands the why. And I think that's okay. We need to know the why. Why is um, immorality amongst men an affront to the gospel? Why? Not just that it is. We know that it is. But why? Why is lying? Why is murder? Why are these things an affront to the gospel? Because if we can answer those questions by seeing the truth of this groom who took a bride under a covenant and we see that union and that relationship and then anything that doesn't fit that is contraire. It doesn't fit. So if the individual, the asker, if they do see that, yes, it is an affront, I understand it is a affront, then I hope that they will know, as we've been saying, that sin, the parasite, the thing, will always want to sin. We're not going to change that. But we are no longer enslaved to it anymore. For we have been made new creations. And we can actually live from that new life, which is Christ. Many times we fail, don't we? I mean, let's just be honest. Have a little church, right? Testimony time. Of course, we fail. Because we are... we, we, We see dimly. We don't see the truth. We don't see perfectly. But we don't have to because our life is now Christ, a groom who has taken a bride. Now, if the individual doesn't see why or or even that homosexuality is an affront against the gospel, then I'm really not sure what to say to the individual because it's not my persuasion. It's not my words. It's not my passion that's going to open up someone's eyes. I mean, that, that's not for me to, to, to even try to do. I just would ask them, whoever they are, to just ask the Lord to guide you. Ask the Lord to lead you. Ask the Lord to show you what really has happened beyond the veil, what really has happened in the spirit where a groom has taken a bride and poured his life into her. Oh, and what comes from that? What comes? Go back to the natural. What happens? Uh, you know, let's keep it um, somewhat vague here. What happens when a husband deposits seed into his wife? Fruit, offspring, life, right? I got three of them running around. What happens in the, in the spirit when the groom himself deposits his, the seed of his life into his bride? Fruit called love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness. 
against these things there are no law because this is the substance of Christ and his bride to which we say yes and we want to be image bearers if you will of that reality so um, I don't know if that fully answers the uh, question that the submitter submitted um, but I certainly don't want them to think that because any sin, what well, this context being homosexuality or same-sex attraction, that any presence of a sinful desire negates the finished work of Christ. That's not what Paul's getting at at all. But it's very clear that the unrighteous will not inherit. And by identity, by nature, those who have been born of the Spirit are not that. We were but Paul clearly says, Romans 6, we've died and we have a new heart, a new nature. The power of sin is still present in these mortal members, but it is not our master. And we do not have to abide by its desires. Um, I'll close with just two examples or one example. A good, I say good, uh, a, a, an acquaintance, a, a decent acquaintance of, of mine. April has met him uh, down in Orlando. Um, was for 10, 15 years practicing homosexual who uh, actually ended up in Orlando uh, chasing after that, you know, that, that idea. And um, for whatever reason, and I'm not entirely sure of all the details, um, he, uh, about 15 years ago, um, his testimony, not mine, the Lord delivered him from that mindset. And he, and he saw this clarity of what was really going on. He saw that he was getting played um, he, he saw the truth. Now, for the last 15 years, he has been involved in, in, in ways that uh, many of us might even kind of like raise our eyebrows a little bit to, in ways to minister to that very community that we uh, might not, you know, seek to do because at least I don't have a context of that, of that, of that culture. But he has faithfully ministered and helped provide um, escape in a, a better way for just tons of, of his friends and, and, and people in the uh, gay community. Um, but why it became clear to him and perhaps not to another? See, I don't know. I don't know those answers. And I hope the asker is not ask, asking me to answer that because I don't know that. But what I do know is that uh, according to this uh, uh, friend of ours, um, he he was uh, it was it was a a as deep a deception that he could possibly ever articulate, because it was he thought it was his identity. He thought it's who he was. I am a white gay young professional. You know whatever. That's it's who I am. That also was a Christian, but as his true identity became clearer and clearer. He started to see how that did not fit with who he truly was. I don't know if anybody like screamed and hellfire brimstone at him, you know, sort of a deal. I don't think that's going to help anybody. But I think what happened was he came across, he stumbled upon the truth of this sound teaching of the grace of God and his gospel. And he started to see, you know, that just doesn't fit anymore. Now, I know that's not everybody's testimony. I'm just giving you uh, my buddy down in Orlando uh, because many others would say I'm 
homosexual and I'm a Christian and there's nothing wrong. Everything's cool. Um, I, I wouldn't subscribe to that because why would something 2,000 years ago be contrary to the gospel but 2,000 years later, however many generations that is, all of a sudden not be contrary to sound teaching of the gospel. So, uh, but, it is a, but, but it is a very sensitive, very uh, difficult topic because of that deception, of my friend's testimony, of how it became his identity. It's who I am. I would say likewise, we ought not identify ourselves as a white, black, whatever, heterosexual male, female. That's not even our identity. Our identity is the bride of Christ, a son, a daughter of the Most High. That's our identity. And everything else ought to stem from that. So those are the collection of my thoughts, you know, that uh, I had for, for that question. Wow. I had no, sorry about that. I did not know it was that late. Um, any, any closing uh, questions or thoughts or comments or, but what about? I thought of one thing. Yeah. You know, in as much as we as a society look at this one sin and say, you know, and, and even in the context of our discussion today, um, you look at that sin and it's not a good example of grace. Well, neither is it a good example of grace when we as the righteous look down on yeah. anybody and don't show love and we uh, separate them from our lives from society instead of pulling them in and loving them. Yep. When you look at the very first verse you touched on, before we even got to this more controversial mm -hmm. area, it says, hey, as a righteous person, don't do this, because people are going to see that and they're, they're going to question what it is you really have, what your true identity is. Yeah. We cause that same question when we look down on people who mm -hmm. have these same afflictions, we're all sinners. God doesn't look at one sin and say, ooh, that one's much worse than this one. Right. And I think that's part of the underlying thing we were talking about today. But one of the sins is not stated here is not loving other people. Yeah, right. And so you yeah. can watch everything yeah. you're doing to, yep. to make sure you're, you're being true to yourself. Right. Now. It's so easy for us to categorize and dismiss. Yeah. It's so easy for us to categorize people and dismiss people. But I, that's not... That's contrary mm -hmm. to the sound teaching of the gospel, for sure. Yes, ma'am. So, um, one thing, not just with homosexuality, but also with, you know, heterosexual immorality and, and stuff. You know, I mean, this, in Corinthians, it does say, it says, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You're not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. So, like, on the one hand, understand, you know, any kind of sin is something that's from, you know, the evil one or from the mm. flesh. But then again, you are, like, desecrating the temple by yeah. sinning sexually. Right, so it, sure. it is kind of different. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I hear what you're saying. Yeah, it, it, it is, it is, um, it is, it is, um. It's no good. <laughs> However you cut, slice the cake. I mean, no bueno, you know, at all. But I, but I definitely hear what you're saying. There's a, there's a, um, it's as if, going back to the physical temple, it's as if 
you know, we run in with, you know, a bunch of pig blood or something and, like, you know, throw it all around. Like, like, is that really how we want to honor the Lord who is alive in us? Um, and so, yeah, no, I, it is definitely, um, uh, you know, whether the Lord's eyebrow gets higher or lower. Because if you think about it, all sin for all time has been eradicated. And so, therefore, why would we want to do it? Any of it. We, we don't. Sin in us does. Let's, let's be wise to that. Let's grow in a maturity to that. Yes, sir. So there are a lot of folks who hold a view, and to be clear, I, I don't hold this view, but uh, there are a lot of folks who do hold a view that the homosexuality referred to in the New Testament is not a, like a, a committed loving partnership, rather, rather like something more like, you know, a um, just uh, like random or more, you know, um, temple prostitution kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And what, what what would you say to what can we say to speak to that view? Yeah. So if you didn't hear, you know, the question was some people uh, say that new New Testament this word New Testament word homosexuality is more limited to just sort of uh, non committed non loving you know just basically casual sex among men. Yeah. But what if you have a loving committed you know relationship amongst men? That's not what they're talking about, surely. Um, well, you know, again, that's why what I did was I went back to, again to the substance of, the, of a groom taking a bride and producing a fruit, uh, the fruit of the Spirit through us. If that's the gospel, that's the substance, then what does and what doesn't follow that substance? A loving, committed man and a loving, committed man, in my understanding, doesn't fit that. Even if it's loving and committed and till death do us part, it still doesn't fit a groom taking a bride, the seed of the groom bearing forth life through the bride, which is what the gospel is and which is what any, sh- any shadow is not contrary to, to that sound teaching. And so um, to me, and I don't want to sound crass or whatever, it, that, that's, that, 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 that doesn't matter. That, that, that's... Uh, that's a, it's, irre, yeah, it's irre, irrelevant. I want to be kind, though. I don't want you to say, ah, it's irrelevant. Because at the end of the day, you still have a man and a man engaging in um, what the Greek would call pornea. We get the word pornography, but it illicit sexual relationships. Um, the, the difficulty, again, it comes in with... But this is who I am. You don't understand. This is who I am. That's the deception where Paul says, do not be deceived. For neither, you know, in, 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 you know, lists all those, will inherit the kingdom of heaven. There's a great deception of identity, of who I truly am. And, uh, and I want to say that with the greatest grace and the greatest understanding possible, having never been tempted with that particular sin. But I can speak with great uh, character and, and great experience for many other sins, but, but not that one, just in my personal testimony. Um, so I want to be very clear on that. I, um, I would much rather hear 
someone who has, like my friend in Orlando, you know, speak on these things. I, I, I can't, I wish, I just don't think it's common knowledge, but someone whom I listen to all the time and is probably the best grace communicator that I've ever heard had in the 80s a lifestyle of homosexuality. And to hear him speak of the deception of it and the, cl of the clarity that he now sees, it's just inspiring. You know, having never, uh, again, been tempted in those things myself. So um, those, I would say, are more the authority, you know, experientially, you know, than myself in that regards. But it doesn't, it doesn't change the, the, the fact. Um, I don't want to say this, but the only way that I can equate it, let's take one of the other things that listed. Let's take adultery. I think every man, likely, and woman in this room has probably had sin in the flesh seek to manifest itself in some sort of way in the sin of adultery, in some sort of way. Not, not necessarily physically, but like Jesus says, you know, if you even think it. I, I, let's just assume, right? Don't look down on me like that. Let's just assume, right? It would be as if we say, but that's who I am. It's, it's, it's in me. It's, it's, what, it's, it's, it's what I feel like is right. It's what I feel like doing. It's, it's, it's who I am. But see, that doesn't pass the sniff test at all. So why, why, why the other? And so, but I don't think that is going to change the mind. I think what changes the mind is the revelation of what sound teaching in the gospel truly is. What, what is this substance of Christ and his church? And then let that flow downhill, if you will. But that's a great question, brother, because that's a big deal. Um, big deal. Yes, sir. Oh, the question itself? seems to be, and I agree, you, you alluded to it, whatever is going on in his life and where he will go, he will have doubts of some kind or another if he's not settled. Sure. Because Jesus, it says, was tempted in all things like we were, and I, I've had to think like that. Jesus was tempted, and sometimes men and women say, well, you're not a man or you're not a woman. Jesus was tempted, I'm assuming, based on everything we covered this morning, every kind of idea about sexuality or, or whatever, Jesus was tempted in this way and yet without sin. Mm -hmm. And he is now our covering for all of this difficult thing. Yeah. And, and so, and I, I, would, I would think that 
this person just needs to understand that as Jesus covered all of our conditions, so they, so this individual does not need to doubt his salvation based on, on, on what he has described. Yeah. And, and then from there comes whatever correction yeah. is right. necessary. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, starting with the finished work and working it out. As Paul says to the Philippians, work out your salvation with great fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. It start, something's been worked in, and now God desires he himself to work it out. And that's a journey that we're all, that we're all on. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because if this individual tries harder to stop these thoughts in order to feel more saved, well, that's that's counterproductive. That that it is just going to be more guilt and condemnation when the thoughts do come. But if we comes to the realization of this is God's promise, I'm believing it, and now I'm living from it. That is a freeing journey for sure. Yeah. Amazing and wonderful and also really challenging things about the gospel is when we are born again, we are putting, I mean, we're acknowledging that our old identity has died. Yeah. I mean, it might not be in this particular way, but I mean, I can say 20 years ago, whenever, it's a little bit less than that. When I was born again, a lot of who I thought I was died. Yeah. And there's like, I don't want to say a grieving process because it's, it's joyful, but you start to realize that's not who I am anymore. Yeah. And it, yeah, it is who I was, but it's not who I am. And so yeah. regardless of, of how it manifests itself, right. we, that's the glory of the gospel. So yeah. We do have a new identity. Yeah. Praise God yeah. we have a new identity. Right. Now. Absolutely. And, and that to me comes by revelation, yeah. not simply by not thumping. And that, that's, that's the unfortunate missed peace I think in a lot of churches you know maybe I just thump the pulpit harder and it'll, it'll stop misbehaving it's like I don't think that's the way it works yeah. Yeah, <laughs> that's right that's right well let's stand in and be closed with a word of prayer and uh, I apologize for the hour I, I um, but hopefully it's beneficial thought provoking don't just simply take my word for any of this you know maybe it inspires you to think more and to to, to dwell on these things because this um, topic or this question this thing it's not going anywhere right um it's it's definitely not going anywhere um father we thank you for today we thank you for uh the substance of christ and his bride whom we are who trust you we thank you that we have life in him and while we perhaps in this room i don't know may or may not have the struggle of this particular sin being manifested by sin in the flesh we've got plenty of others and so it's almost like fill in the blank we have died to fill in the blank because we have and it is no longer our master for we've been set free so father I pray that the truth 
of what you've done to us will truly set us free from whatever temptation that sin seeks to manifest itself through us. May our thoughts be filled with truth. Whatever is noble, whatever is pure, whatever is righteous, whatever is holy, let us think on these things. So, Father, help us, we pray. Because this isn't just a question about homosexuality. This is a question really for each, each of us personally about any temptation, any sin that is contrary, anything that is contrary to sound teaching of, according to the grace of God. We thank you for the victory we already have in Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for listening to today's podcast of the teaching at Life Journey Church in Crozet, Virginia. We'd love to hear from you. If God is doing something special in your life, let us know by sending an email to info at lifejourneyva.com. Feel free to pass today's teaching on to any friends and family that you'd like, but please don't change any of it or charge for it. This podcast is made available for free as a ministry of Life Journey Church. If you would like to support the proclamation of the gospel of the grace of God, you can make a donation now on our website, lifejourneyva.com. Have a great day.